interesting without uh, probably knowing that Robin told the story of the lifeboat station, uh, which I told uh, one of my first sermons here. Uh, oh, right. Tom, I think. Have we got some pins in? Can we pop that on, people, for you? So Colossians 1, ah, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is uh, uh, talked of here as, as the ruler and authority over all things, before all things. In him all things hold together, and he's the head of this thing we call the church. He is in authority over The church, and that's church capital C and church as in this church here. He's the head. He's the one we look to to make decisions, to direct us as his body, all those different parts. The members of the body of Christ, which is who we are if we're part of this church here. (laughs) Are the... (laughs) The members of this church, we are the physical representation of Christ on this earth. Jesus no longer walks the earth, but we do. And Christ is in us, and we represent him in his world. The way Christ uh, manifests his life today on the world is through the church. This is a poem by uh, St. Teresa 
of Avila. It's a poem that I think was read a few weeks ago. Uh, I used to have it written in the first front page of one of my first Bibles. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. And what is Jesus up to? Well, we see in this passage in Colossians chapter 1, from verse 19, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things. Jesus is, is reconciling all things to himself as God. And, and he says in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus himself says, I will build my church. The church is his notice. I will build my church, he says. And he is the one who will build it as part of his reconciliation is to bring people into this thing called the church. Whatever that looks like, whether it means walking in through this building, but to become part of the church of, of God. And Ephesians 5 verse 24 says this, Christ, uh, as it's talking about marriage and, and this comparison between uh, the husband and wife and, and Christ and the church, it says Christ is head of the church, his body. And then at the start of verse 24, it says the church submits to Christ. We, the church of Christ, his body on earth, choose to be willingly under his control, under his direction, receiving his help, looking to him to, to lead us to, to represent him on this earth. And what is he asking us to do? Well, Jesus, in his final words in Matthew, says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus builds the church. We make disciples. That's what he's asking us to do. Jesus says, I will build my church. He says, you go and make disciples. So we are the body of Christ, his representation on earth. He chooses to do his reconciliation work through us. We need to therefore listen to his voice and obey his direction. He calls his call on our lives is to make disciples. And I guess I've written here kind of starting with ourselves. Where are we at in terms of this journey with Christ? Where are we in terms of, of ensuring that our heart is seeking after him? We need to uh, turn to him ourselves. We can't disciple others unless we are uh, turning to Christ and listening for ourselves. But the call on our lives is to make disciples. And that call, that cry of reconciliation comes from the very heart of who God is. That's what he's up to, but it comes from his heart. This is from uh, 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 to 4. God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants all people to be saved 
and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Bible is clear that the heart of God is for all to respond to him. I love Jesus' story of the lost sheep because in some ways it makes no sense that the shepherd would leave 99 sheep behind to go after one lost one. And yet Jesus tells that story. He leaves the 99 who he knows are safe, who he knows are there, and he's seeking the lost, the lost sheep. He wants to go and bring the, the, the lost sheep back to reconcile that lost sheep to himself. It's the heart of God to seek after the lost. And this is from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 14, verse 14. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die, the Bible says. But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person, someone banished from his presence, does not remain banished from him. And that word devises carries with it in the original language the idea of cunningness. That God is cunning in the ways that he draws people to himself. He will use all and any means he can to draw lost to himself, to go and find them and reach out to them. This is his heart, and he's a God who reaches out. He always has been, and he always will be. He'll never get to the point where he says, well, I've got uh, enough people, I've got the people that I want. He cries, heart cries for the lost. And he is at work in cunning ways to reach people for himself, to draw them to himself. So what are some of the ways, as his body, as his representation on this earth, that we might get involved in that that God is doing? I've just got four this morning, and they begin with the letter P. I'm just going to go through them, and I'm going to uh, read a passage that shows Jesus doing that, and a passage that calls us to do it for each one. So the first one is prayer. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. Jesus says to Simon Peter, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Jesus, when he was on the earth, was praying for those people around him, praying that their faith would not fail, praying that they would be drawn to God. Uh, 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 Elsewhere, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus, part of Jesus' work in this earth when he was here was to pray to the Father, it's interesting, actually, a Jehovah's Witness uh, came to the door recently, and, and, and when I talked about uh, Jesus being God, he said, but Jesus prayed to God, uh, so how can Jesus can't be, how can that happen? Uh, and obviously, Je- you know, Jesus was a physical representation of God. He was still fully God, but he prayed to the Father. He continued to come under the authority of the Father. He lived in obedience to the Father. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he, and he lived as we do by the power of the Spirit and under the direction of the Father. He did it perfectly. We probably never will because of the sin that's in our lives. I believe we have the potential to do that, but sin always gets in the way. I have prayed for you, Simon. And then 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writes to Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness 
and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. And here's the verse from earlier, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God is calling us to pray for the lost that are around us, both individually and as a body here, to pray for the people of this town, to pray for the people on your street, to pray for your friends, your neighbours, your family members, your work colleagues, to pray for those who are lost. It's one of the ways that God works in their lives. Second P is presence. That's not giving gifts, it's presence that finishes C-E, being with people who are lost. There was a a time a few years ago where we had an event at uh, the Baptist Church in Limington, where I worked. The chap who was coming was a real evangelist, uh, uh, a real gospel message, and he said, I will do an event at your church, but but nobody who is a Christian is allowed to come unless they bring somebody who isn't. And, and that was kind of quite a surprise to a few people. He said, that, that's the deal. So, so if you want to come, you need to bring someone who doesn't know Christ. And this chap came to our door the following week, and he knocked on the door. He's from our church. And he said, I really want to go, he said, but I don't know any non-Christians. I don't, I don't know any. So I, I don't know what to do because I really want to come. And so we just had a conversation. We just said, you know, is there, is there anyone? Or he said, well, obviously the neighbours and, and such like. And off he went. And sure enough, he went, he went to his neighbours and, and he began to talk to them a bit and he invited them to come. But it, it was that realisation in his life, actually, I'm, I'm never present with non-Christians. So what God does in my life, what he's up to, the stories I have to tell, the changes God is making in me, nobody's seeing them who isn't a Christian. And so he wanted to do something about that. This is from John chapter 10 and verse 40. Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Jesus went to the place where God called him to go. He stayed there. People came to him. And many believed in Jesus. He was present. And we see the whole story of his life. He's present with the lost. That's what, one of the things that upset the Israelites, the, the religious leaders so much, that he hung around with people who they thought were way out of order. He was present with those who were lost everywhere he went. And is that the call in our lives? 1 Peter 2.12 Live such good lives among the pagans, that's those who don't believe in God, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits, visits us. There's something about what we do in the name of Jesus that if non-Christians, if people who don't know Jesus see it, it has a real impact. So we need to be present with those. We need to pray for the lost. We need to be present with the lost. Third P is power. There is a power in us that is available to make a difference in the lives of others. This is Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 40. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Jesus had evidence of God's power and his goodness in what he did. He didn't just say, well, God wants to do these things. He, he allowed God to do them through him. 
And, he, and God was seen in the things that he did. I believe that the power that Jesus had, the power of the Holy Spirit, is in each one of us, if we're a Christian this morning. It is in us. The power to show people who God is, for God to, to use us to reveal his power to those in the world. Matthew 10, verse 7 to 8. This is Jesus again sending the disciples out. As you go, Jesus says, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those who are ill. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. When Jesus sends out the disciples, uh, uh, before he, he died on the cross and, and, and kind of been able to really, truly prepare them, he sends them out. And, and his expectation is that they will heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. It's his expectation that we would see God at work through our lives. I, I, I find it really hard that we see so little of that in this country. It's not, it, it's not necessarily true throughout the world, but in this country we see so little of God at work by power. And sometimes I wonder if we just uh, don't even ask anymore. I know in my own life, that sense of, well, maybe God doesn't want to, so maybe I just, and, and it would be a bit awkward, wouldn't it, if I prayed for this person to be healed and they weren't. What am I making God look like? Oh, dear, that would be really bad. Rather than just saying, well, let me just pray for you. Let me just pray for this healing to come. There's a story, um, Dave and I were uh, uh, listening to a talk by Paul McConaughey. It's a talk that's had a big impact in my life um, in the past. And he just talked about these two guys. And they, they were, became accountable to each other and said, we're just going to pray for people to be healed. And, and we're going to check with each other that we're still doing it. Every time we see or, or come in, in, in the path of someone who needs to be healed, who approaches us, we'll pray for them. Uh, and I think it was more than a month might even be more than that. Nothing, absolutely nothing happened. They prayed and they prayed and they stayed accountable and they checked up on each other. Nothing. Nobody was healed. And after, after a long period of time, and, and I don't know about you, but if it was me, I'd probably have gone two or three days and said, oh, this thing isn't working. Let's just not go. They kept going. And suddenly one of them, uh, uh, God worked through him and healed somebody. And he told the story to the other and they kept going. And so it grew and God really began to have an impact through them. Paul McConaughey himself says, we never saw many healings in our church. We now pray for healing a lot more than we used to when we see more. There, there is no uh, uh, answer to how and why God might heal one and not another. But are we, uh, with those people who are lost around us, are we willing to pray the dangerous prayers to see if God might want to do something amazing? So prayer, praying uh, for them and for their faith, presence, Power and the fourth one is preaching. Mark 1 38. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come, he says. And again, we see throughout his life his willingness to speak the truth into all the situations he found himself. He showed God, demonstrated who God was, but also declared the truth about God. And again, it's the call on our lives. Jesus, at the end of Mark, says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. It's the call on our lives. And that's not about standing on a soapbox and going through uh, all the chat. It's about, have I got a story to tell and am I telling it? What is God doing in my life? How do I know him? And how can I help those non-Christian people around me to know who God is, to know what he's doing, what he means to me? 
what he's doing in my life. So prayer, presence, power, preaching. Praying that our friends and family are reconciled to God. I've discovered in my life that the more I pray for people to know God, the more my heart longs for them to do that. What I pray to God becomes my greatest desire. And as that happens, so more and more I'm willing to take opportunities. As I'm praying and I'm longing for them to know Jesus, so when I meet them, I'm thinking, okay, is there something here, God, that you want me to say or do to help what I'm praying for myself? We're so often the answer to our own prayers as God calls on us and works through us to, to achieve those things that are on our heart for him. Uh, I went to this camp um, just in these last uh, uh, couple of weeks and turned up there and there was a lady helping in the kitchen from the Baptist Church in Limington. Her uh, husband is a chef. He's a, a French chap called Philippe. Uh, I was in Limington 10 years. I knew him for 10 years. Uh, I prayed for him regularly. We ran alpha courses that he came to. Every men's event that we did, he'd come uh, and just nothing, no change. So lovely guy, great fun, no interest at all, and nothing going on in his life. And so I turn up at this camp and I, I just talk to his wife. She says, oh, by the way, have you heard? And I said, heard what? Heard what? Have you heard about Philippe? I said, no, I haven't heard anything. What? He said, he's become a Christian. He said, proper, like reading his Bible every day, like can't get enough of God, like it's completely revolutionary. His son, had, his 16-year-old son, he'd thrown him out because they'd had a row. He was staying with someone else in the church because he, he wouldn't let him in his home. Now the whole family is back together again, reconciled. God has done an amazing work in this guy. And I, it just completely blew me away. I kept saying to him, are you sure? Is this really, a? it's like, because I'd seen nothing for 10 years, nothing to, to suggest that any of this was going to happen. But we'd kept praying, we'd kept speaking, we'd kept working, we'd kept uh, building relationship with him. And the day came. And he's, he's properly on fire for Christ. It's amazing. And there's, there were many more around. And I'm now praying even more fervently for them, saying, let's have a domino effect, Lord. Now that Philippe's gone, who knows about all these other guys? Setting time to, aside to pray. Being with people who don't know Jesus. Relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, giving God opportunity to act through us and telling our story of what Jesus is doing in our lives. What resources do we have that we can use as part of this process? We have time. And time is a set entity. There are 168 hours a week and we're never going to get any more, we're never going to get any less. But what we do with our time is up to us. Is there time that we can free up from other things that we can invest in those people around us who don't know Jesus. There is treasure. There's that which we have, our assets, our our belongings, our money. Is there a way that God wants to use that to impact those around us? To invite people for a meal that's going to cost us, but we choose to do that in order to build those relationships. We have talent that God's given us. We have things that we're good at, that we can do, that we're passionate about. Perhaps, perhaps there's uh, things that we love doing and are good at that we can go and do with others who aren't Christians so that we can be with them and be praying for them and be ready for God to work in their lives. And of course we have the Holy Spirit, God with us and the power and authority that comes with him in our lives. 
In Ephesians, I pray that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hands in the heavenly realms. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. There it is again. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So, so that's the call on our lives. But what about us as a body together? We've been, ta- been talking more about us as individuals in our individual lives. Is there a way that we as a church, as a body, can, do, can, can grow in our impact on the community that is around us? Let me read to you uh, from Psalm 104. I wasn't expecting to read this. And I came in this morning... And it was in my uh, daily reading for the day. And just as I read it, I had this picture uh, as I read it of of God looking at the town of Durham. And I'm going to read it through. Perhaps uh, you can either follow it if if you've found it or just close your eyes. It's It's a psalm about creation. But picture this as God impacting the community the other side of those doors. From verse 10. God makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the hyraks. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labor, until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Dirham is full of God's creatures. He wants to pour out water. He wants to meet their needs. He wants to quench their thirst and meet their hunger, both physical and spiritual. He longs to pour himself out on this town. And he's placed this church here so that he can use us to do that. He can do that through us and with us by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So we as a, as a leadership team uh, and, uh, and Dave and I have been praying and, and thinking about is there something we can do right now just to make this stuff more accessible to lost people? Is there somewhere where we can, we can pray with people, where we can be present with people, where we can have an opportunity to pray for God's power to come into their lives, where we can tell them truth and speak truth into their lives, where we can invest our time, our treasure, our talent, and call upon the Holy Spirit to work through us. And there's a place uh, where this is already happening that we want to kind of grow from, because there's a small area of the bookshop where 
they've set chairs up, and, uh, and it's there for this kind of thing. And, and, and that's kind of inspired us as well. And we are wondering whether God is calling us as a church to open our doors more than we do for lost people, to have a space where people can come, where there'll be people here waiting to meet them, to welcome them, to make tea and coffee, perhaps some toast, maybe soup for lunch, and just to be here so that all of us can, when we're talking to neighbours and friends, when we meet people on the street who are struggling, we say, do you know there's a place you can go where someone will be waiting, someone just to meet with you, to share with you, to pray for you, to give you something to eat or drink if you want that. And, and I, even as Dave and I have worked on, on this this week, more and more we've felt maybe that is what God's calling us to do. So we feel, uh, uh, Sam spoke a few weeks ago about the, uh, the entering into the promised land, and he talked about uh, the, the priest stepping into the water. He said, and if they'd have stayed on the edge, nothing would have happened, but they stepped into the water, and so the water's opened. And right now, we don't have people queuing at our door to come in. This isn't we're saying, should we just begin to open it? And should we, we begin to be here? Should we begin to therefore go out and talk to people and say, do you know there's a place you can come and be where people are here and ready to meet with you? If that's stirring your heart, if you feel that that is something that you might be willing to do, we'd be talking about probably two hours at a time in pairs, just being able to come and sit. And you might just be here on your own for two hours and just reading and praying together, and that's, that's fine. And maybe people coming and going. We don't even know how many days a week yet we're going to see what kind of response there is and whether people's heart is for this and whether people are saying, actually, yes, I could come and give a couple of hours a week or a couple of hours every other day just to be there so that, so that as people are invited, they can come and meet with us, and we can do these things with them, prayer and presence and power and preaching. So we're going to put, uh, Dave's going to put in a moment, just a piece of A4 paper and a pen on there. Just, just write your name if you, if you feel that's something you might be willing to be involved in. You are not signing up for anything. Don't worry. We're not going to now take, take your name and say, right, we've got. It's just to give us an idea of whether this is something that we as a church can do, whether we have people who are ready and willing to be involved in that. We will then uh, uh, send out uh, emails or get in touch with you. To, uh, and at that point, you can say, actually, at the moment, it's difficult for me. But if this is something that's on your heart, you are not signing up for life, we're not going to phone you and say, right, you're in Thursday at half past three for two hours. We just want to gauge where we're at and whether people are willing to do that. So please take the opportunity. We'll put the sheet there during the final hymn. And it will be there as you leave. It's going to finish with these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're doing this again, by the way, in the 10.30 all-age service. We're just going to uh, do this in a different way, interactive way. But again, ask that question whether there are people who would be willing to, to give of themselves towards this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, though I am free and belong to no one, Paul says, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Though I'm free and I belong to no one, I'm under no obligation, Paul says. Nobody can force me to do this, but I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, so as to win those uh, not having the law. To the weak, I become weak, 
to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. The reason I read that passage because Dave and I Wednesday had an away day and we were walking alongside a river. And I said to Dave, what's the name of this river? And he said, I think it's called the Wensome. And that immediately made me think of that verse about I've become all things, because the old verse used to say, in order to win some. And we were talking about... We were talking about this stuff, and then he says, it's the winsome. And I went, oh, that's, that's what Paul said. He said, well, I've become all these to all people in order to win some. That's, that's why that passage is here, because that was put on my heart through that. So let's just pray, and then we'll sing our final song. Lord, we're just kind of uh, stepping out in faith. We have a sense that you might be asking something of us, but we want to check that out with your people. We want to check that it's something that we are are able to do. We want to check it's something that you're calling us to do. But Lord, it seems that you've laid it on our hearts as leaders. Uh, And even this week as we've put this together, we've sensed more and more uh, a sense of urgency to be there for people in this town. There's much going on in this town. There's much support and help needed. So, Lord, just help us to discern your will in this. We are your people. What we want is to do your will, not not Nigel's ideas or or Dave's clever thoughts. Lord, we want to do what you are asking of us. If this is what you're asking of us, then help us. Just help us, Lord, to know what it would look like. And, Lord, would you bring those people to us that you would have us engage with. Amen. It's nearly 10. I'm just wondering whether we should sing. Should we sing the final song, do you think? Pardon? Part of it. That's a good idea. So the final song is just a hymn to remind us of what's going on in our world out there and to enable us to call upon God to have mercy. So if we sing verse 1, can we do that with the... We'll have to, yeah. We'll have to try and pause it after three verses. Uh, if we can do verse 1... Verse 4 and verse 5. I think No, verse 1, 2 and 5. We can sing 1, 2 and 5. Sorry, words, people, if that, I hope that's okay. Uh, and again, it's just a call out to God, a recognition of what's going on in our world and an opportunity to say, have mercy. And perhaps he wants to do that through us. So let's stand and sing together. <laughs>